Well, good morning, everybody. I'm so glad you're here. How many of you have been enjoying WYC so far? Amen. Um, let's start with a word of prayer. Let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, we're just so grateful that you have blessed us so much. Thank you for bringing us all here. I know it's not by accident. I know you have a plan for each of our lives, and I pray that you will empty me of self and fill me with your spirit that I may be able to share something that will be a blessing to each person's heart here and that each person may be changed into your image more by the message that I share today. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. My seminar is titled, But We're Just Friends, um, because this is one of the most common things that I hear as a person who spends a lot of time with young people. My husband works at Southern, and I'm staying at home as a stay-at-home mom with three little kids, but we have a lot of students that come funneling through our house. And just kind of, I, I hear so many complicated situations that start out with, well, we're just friends, but... So I decided a long time ago, this was a topic that I really thought needed to be addressed more. And I actually, I'm working on writing a book on this, so whenever I have spare time between raising three little kids, one of these days you may be able to read this if you can't hear it. Um, now what I want to share with you today comes from my heart and from my own experience because I had the same situation that many other people that I know had in growing up trying to follow God. You know, I always heard you got to save yourself from the right one, right? And when I was younger, um, like up until I was about 16, I really thought that that was kind of a, you know, as long as you don't have sex, it's okay, right? So I would play with all these guys, flirt around a lot. I dated different guys. and But of course, I was going to save myself for the right one physically. But emotionally, I wasn't saving myself for anybody. I was giving myself to anybody who seemed like they would be interested in me. I remember going out walking with one of my friends. And we would, we would go over and visit the academy campus nearby and go on man hunts. Just walk around and try to find somebody to flirt with. And then go away giggling, oh, he was so cute. You know what I mean? It's insane, the things that 14-year-old girls do. But anyway, that's what I did. And then when I gave my life to Christ when I was 16, I decided, all right, now I'm going to do it right. I'm going to give every area of my life to God, and that includes dating. So I stopped dating around. I dated several non-Adventist guys and had some really messed up relationships. But from then on, I didn't start dating. And I didn't date again until I was out of college. Um, and that was uh, a great decision, one of the best decisions I ever made. It really helped me to be able to mature and to work through some of the things that I needed to work through before I started dating anybody. And that, that decision also probably saved me from a lot of very bad situations because even when I was 16, I remember just a few months before I really made that commitment to follow Christ, I was studying to be a lifeguard. And my lifeguarding teacher sat down with me one day and she said, Nicole, if you keep acting the way that you're acting with guys, you're not going to be a virgin much longer. And I was shocked. I was like, of course I will be. What do you mean? You know, I'm so, I'm so sure on that point. That's what I'm going to do. But I wasn't saving myself emotionally. And physically, I dressed in the kind of clothes that I thought would get attention. It wasn't that I was trying to get guys to want to have sex with me. But, you know, when you have a nice body and you dress in things that show it off, then everybody pays more attention to you and guys want to put their arm around you and they want to hang out with you and you're treated like you're cool. I liked that. And I liked how I felt when I put on something that made my body look what I thought looked good. 
So I wore those tight things, those short things, those things that didn't have any sleeves, and I thought, wow, you know, this is the life. Guys are starting to like me. I'm finally growing up. But um, my lifeguarding teacher saw where it was going, even when I didn't. And I'm so grateful that she had the courage to sit down and talk with a girl who wasn't really very um, spiritually minded in some ways, because she saw I had potential and that I did want to follow God, and I needed somebody to warn me. Praise God for people who do that. So she did help me to know what I was doing was desperately wrong. And I came out of that conversation horrified and confused. What am I doing wrong? How am I sending those signals to guys? I just didn't really get it. When I gave my life to Christ, I was uh, attending Washita Hills Academy, which is a wonderful school. It totally turned my life around. And at Washita Hills, we weren't allowed to date. And I found that really great because the other guys, when a guy would walk with me or sit next to me in class regularly, I didn't have to start worrying, oh no, he's got a crush on me. I could relax more and be friends. It, it really freed me up emotionally. But it also meant that I became good friends with guys, not worrying about whether or not we were going to be interested in each other. That can be a good thing and a bad thing because I thought, you know, we're just friends, right? You, you want to stay just friends with everyone, right? This is the, the paradigm we have. When you're out there in the world, you date around, you have a wild time, you decide what your boundaries are physically, and then you go that far whenever you feel like it. But as Christians, we say, wait, we're supposed to save ourselves for marriage. And that means physically and, of course, emotionally, too. We realize that as we mature spiritually, we realize it's not okay to just throw yourself at everybody emotionally. So you're supposed to stay just friends with people until you find somebody you think might be the right one, right? But practically, that often means that we're still confused. What does it really mean to be just friends? The Bible talks all the time about staying pure, but it doesn't talk about what's the boundary. How can a guy and a girl be friends and be just friends and stay pure? And, you know, where are the boundaries in that? Emotionally, I was totally confused. We live in a culture where movies tell you that you've got to have these intense emotional friendships and everything has to be intense and emotional. And, you know, in an hour and a half, you go through all the emotions that somebody's supposed to go through in like 10 years, right? In this, this movie and everything happens and wow, you know, the, the hills and the valleys are amazing. And when you get to real life, real life, you got to scrub floors. You know, in real life, when you drive somewhere in a car, you actually have to sit there for a while and drive. In a movie, when you're sitting there in a car, it's because they're about to get in an accident or have, they're having an important conversation, right? So real life is not so intense. It gets boring, especially when you're addicted to intensity. My husband's going to be talking about some of those issues of lifestyle and how we, uh, we've corrupted ourselves by thinking everything must be emotional and intense. This has flowed into the way that we relate to the opposite sex in so many ways, and we just don't even see it. The Bible doesn't deal with these things by saying, you should do these things and don't do these things until you're married. But it deals with it by showing principles. And that's what I want to share with you. Things that I wish somebody had told me back when I was 16, because it would have really saved me a lot of mess and headache. As it was, basically all the guys that I was friends with until I turned 16 are out of my life now. I didn't build friendships with them. We built whatever you'd call it, something based on attraction. We flirted with each other, we hung out, sometimes we'd go do something, go for a walk, and sometimes, you know, after hanging out too late in the moonlight, something stupid would happen, and then we'd be awkward again, you know what I mean? I lost so many friendships that way. And 
I can truly say that once I learned these principles and started applying them to my life, things changed so much. And the friends that I have who I applied these principles in my friendships with them, we're still friends all these years later. When you're 15, 16, even 20 years old, it's hard to look off into the future. But now I'm 36, and I look back and I see, you know, there were people I was friends with when I was 16, and I was like, man, we'll be close friends forever. Nothing could ever happen to mess up this friendship. And five years later, we don't even talk to each other. But other friends I had that I was really good friends with, and we kept safe, healthy boundaries in our friendship, then 15 years later, we're still close friends. That's something you want. If you value your friends, if you value your opposite sex friendships, then apply some biblical principles and you can keep those friendships forever. Most of the time, that isn't what happens. But that's because we're hazy on what does it mean to be just friends? I remember talking to a girl who was telling me, yeah, there's this guy, we're, we're friends, we're just friends, but you know, oh well, we're just friends. And I was like, okay, you're just friends. So I have guys I'm just friends with because I was married and she was single. I said, well, so what's the difference between your friendships with, friendship with this guy and my friendships with guys? She's like, well, we hug sometimes. I was like, well, I, I hug my guy friends sometimes too. She said, well, we, we hug and kiss sometimes. Oh, that kind of just friends, that's different. <laughs> that's not just friends, right? But then what is just friends? Is it, well, we, we don't kiss. We would never do that. Sometimes we hold hands. No, that's not just friends either, right? No verbal commitments. You just, the longing looks across the room, but that's okay because we're not really, right? Where, where are the boundaries on these things? You know what I mean? You, you guys have been there, right? How many of you have ever been complicated in a complicated just friendship that ended up not being just friendship? All right, well, some of you are honest. Yeah, yes. <laughs> Most of us know that really being flirtatious and just dating around and maximizing the emotional, um, whatever you have, the emotional wump of being with the opposite sex, it's wrong. It's wrong to try to have this closeness because, you know, if you're friends with a guy and you're friends with a girl, but the person who's the opposite sex from you, you have a lot stronger attraction to being friends with them just because they're the opposite sex and it doesn't hurt if they're really cute or whatever. Um, you know, that's, that's using hormones to enhance your friendship. And that's something that you may think is okay when you're 16, but what about when you're 26 and you're married? How do you break that habit? You then don't enhance all of your friendships with opposite sex only with your spouse because that's the only one that the hormones are okay, right? Where do you draw that line? You've got to practice now to be married then. Are you really just friends? The Bible says that people lie to themselves sometimes. Psalm 15 verse 2 says, He that walketh uprightly and worketh righteousness and speaketh the truth in his heart will be saved. I used to think that just meant scripture memorization. And that's important. I think that does certainly apply to scripture memorization. Being able to speak the truth in your heart. And the Bible always addresses things on a heart level. It's not about do this and don't do that. Even in Israel, when people were just coming out of slavery and God says, okay, these are the basic ground rules. You can't do this and you've got to do that because they weren't used to thinking for themselves. They were used to being told what to do in every area of their lives. But even when God had to lay down basic ground rules, he was still aiming for the heart. God always wants our hearts and he wants us to be honest in our hearts with ourselves. I know I've not been honest sometimes with other people. They ask me about something, so what's going on there? And I'm, you know, I'd say, no, 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 it's fine. But down inside, I knew it really wasn't, right? 
we have to be honest with our hearts between ourselves and God. And sometimes that means we have to confess if we've been dishonest with other people too. God wants us to speak the truth in our hearts and admit to ourselves if we're looking to friendships to make us feel better about ourselves, to enhance our sense of worth, to enhance our sense of lovability, our attractiveness. When we build our sense of identity on those things instead of on God's love for us, we're always in trouble because those things are shifting sand. What happens if you get in a car accident and your face is disfigured and you built your whole sense of identity on what you look like? You're in big trouble. What happens if you have three children in three and a half years and your body gets a lot bigger than it used to be, like me? <laughs> it's a, it, it can be a real wallop if you thought you were so valuable because of how beautiful you were. And I know people who are so attractive when they're young and then they get older, they gain weight, they get wrinkles, and they suddenly have a desperate need for somebody to affirm them, somebody to make them feel attractive because their sense of worth was built on something shallow, shifting sand. We need our sense of worth and identity and lovability to be built on God's love for us. And when that's what it's built on, then the things that happen to us are irrelevant. Whether or not somebody wants to marry me is not going to destroy me. I don't become desperate and needy. Please, somebody marry me. I'm going to be 35 soon. You know what I mean? We don't have to live that way because we're joyful knowing I am loved, incredibly loved by God. Whether or not someone else chooses me above everybody else in the world, God chooses me like that. And he loves me like there's nobody else in the world for him to even notice. Mm -hmm. This is how God wants us to build our sense of identity and worth. In our world, we're told that everything is, is built on how sexy you are. Advertising everywhere you go, how you look is so important because that shows how marketable you are. How much is somebody else going to value you? We value people based on their looks, and that's a sinister system. The Bible says in Psalm 51, verse 6, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. God wants to go down to the very depths of our heart and say, What is it you're thirsting after? What is it you're looking for in this person you want to be closer friends with? There's nothing wrong with being friends with somebody of the opposite sex, certainly. But what is it that we're looking for? If we're hungry for something, if we're looking for this person to give us something that only God is supposed to supply, we're going to end up destroying that friendship because we're, we're introducing an idolatrous situation. We're putting in this poison of self, of mixing in, I want you to do something for me that only God can really do for me. And whenever we do that, God has to make those idols crumble in order to bring us back to himself. It's not a mean thing. It's because he loves us. He doesn't want us to wreck our lives. He doesn't want us to wreck our friendships. Isn't it important that we have close friendships? Look at the disciples. Jesus said, you guys wait here. You're not ready for the Holy Spirit. You've got to all get together and pray and become in one accord. God puts a very high value on the relationships between human beings. The law of God is written about two things, our love for God and our love for each other. So God wants us to be able to build healthy, deep, rich friendships. That's very important. But when they become idols, that's when we're in trouble. Mm -hmm. I hear these things a lot. And when I hear them, I almost always know, here comes a complicated situation. But we're just best friends. We're just like brother and sister. Oh, she's a real sister in Christ. And this one, oh, I love this one. He likes me, but I don't like him that way. So we talked about it, and I just guarantee anytime you hear that, it's like, okay, here comes long, complicated drama, followed by lots of tears and more complications. You just don't want to go there. <laughs> when, when people have a situation like that, they need to build some clear, firm boundaries 
because when they decide, oh, we're just going to be close friends, that's all we're going to be. Or, well, she really likes this other person, and so I'm just going to wait until she's interested in me, and maybe it'll work out. Or maybe I'll get interested in somebody else really fast. Often these are just shallow attraction-based kind of friendships anyway. Often our real reason for seeking intimacy with someone of the opposite sex is what? We're not getting it with God. When God calls to your heart and says, come away with me, Let's spend time together. Let me satisfy the thirsty places in your heart. Do you open your Bible or do you open your cell phone or the refrigerator? Or it doesn't matter where we go. These aren't bad things. Food isn't evil. But when we go to it instead of Christ to satisfy the thirst of our soul, it becomes a deadly idol. It becomes something that destroys instead of something that heals and brings life. God has designed our friendships with each other to bring healing and life because this is how God reveals himself to us. He reveals himself through the Bible, through prayer, but also through other people who are reflecting him to one another, right? That's why the Bible says, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. We get together in church because God wants us to bring one another higher spiritually. Why does he ordain that? That we have biblical relationships with people in leadership, you know, pastors, teachers, because he wants us to be able to understand, you know, our hearts are sinful. We're so driven toward the natural things that we make into idols that sometimes God has to speak to us through someone else. We read the Bible, but we're kind of blinded, you know, we're looking at it through stained glass. We only see certain things. So we need somebody else who says, have you noticed this? This is what the Bible says. Have you thought of this application in your life? Friendships with others are so important, but when, when friendship is turned into an idol, it often is because of this, because we want somebody to give us attention instead of God, to fill that place that only God can really fill. That can happen in same-sex friendships too, but opposite-sex friendships have that added oomph of hormones. It just, you know, when you're going to talk about something that's really deep on your heart with somebody that's the same sex as you, it just doesn't have that same feeling of, well, what if it's somebody of the opposite sex and I can talk with them? Whew, wouldn't that be more exciting? Our, our world is driven by hormones, and this is just the way that, that our culture relates. Can a guy and a girl be just friends? What do you think? Absolutely. I have some great friends who are guys, but my old guy friends are gone. The, the new guy friends I made when I learned a better way to relate to them are still around. Even when we haven't seen each other in a long time, we know we can get together, chat, have a sandwich together, be so glad that we can see each other. And there's this healthy, wonderful, what's happening in your marriage? What's happening in my marriage? Man, we're so blessed. This is awesome. We're not looking for affirmation from each other. We're just rejoicing in the loving relationship God has given to us. God is so good in sharing this wonderful blessing with us. Now, most guy-girl friendships I've seen fall into these three categories. They're long-term, not-too-intense friendships. Those are the ones that I found lasted, you know, the ones that I wasn't too intensely close friends with this guy. You know, whenever something good happened to me, it wasn't like, man, that's the first person I want to talk to. Whenever something bad happened, man, if only I could just talk to him. It wasn't like that. They weren't too intense, and they just are steady. No emotional upheavals. Maybe somebody that I can call and say, you know, I just, I'm stressed about this situation. Can you pray with me about it? But not something where immediately I think, oh, if only I could talk to so-and-so, that would make it better. So there are the long-term, not-too-intense friendships. Then there are the temporary, 
close and intense friendships that fade when we move on. Maybe the other person finds somebody that they're going to date and all of a sudden we realize, wait, he's more interested in spending time with her than he is with me. So we move on and find somebody else we're more interested in spending time with, right? Those are the friendships that tend to be idolatrous. They, they tend to be relationships in which I am attracted to you because you're single and I'm single and this could really work, rather than um, I'm attracted to you because you're a brother or sister in Christ. And then there's marriage. And of course, the long-term not too intense friendships may morph into the intense friendships which morph into marriage, hopefully only one time, right? <laughs> This is, this is the way God ordained it. So there's nothing evil about having a close friendship with somebody. It's just that God wants us to have it in the right context. When he is at the center of our hearts, he is at the center of our lives, he is the foundation of our sense of identity and worth and lovability, and our relationship with the other person is built around God at the center. Is it wrong to be more than just friends with somebody in that context? And what I'm talking about, where you're becoming closer and closer friends with somebody of the opposite sex, even if you don't know you're going to marry them? Oh, you're not sure, or you're asleep. Um, let me rephrase that. When you are friends with somebody, and then you see there's potential to possibly uh, move into marrying them someday, but you're not sure if you're going to marry them someday. Is it wrong to start cultivating a depth of intimacy emotionally when you're not sure if this is the one yet? Yes. Ah, now we're getting feedback. If you're, you're not sure it's the right one, yeah. is it okay to start becoming closer to them? Hmm. You will get yourself into a complicated situation sometimes, but how do you ever find out if this is the right person for you? Haha, -ha. this is the heart of the issue that we struggle with as Seventh-day Adventist Christians who are trying to walk higher, better. We're trying to be the last generation. We're trying to really commit our lifestyles to God's word and say, what can I do? How do we do that? How do we follow that process? Do you wait until God shows you this is the one that you're going to marry and then you become friends with them? Then you pour yourself out to them emotionally? Yes and no. <laughs> All right. Yes, you're thinking. You're confused. This is wonderful. That makes you pay attention. <laughs> Here's what happens. I find when people are in this, you know, process where they're friends, and I know a lot of people who've done this, they're, they're friends with everybody, but they don't get emotionally close to anybody. Then they see somebody that they're interested in. How do they cross that narrow, shaky bridge to I'm going to marry you? What happens on that little bridge? Because that's really important, right? I remember when I was learning to fall in love with my husband. I wouldn't say I fell. I more like crawled into love with him because it was a slow process of me deciding this guy is the kind of person I would want to spend my life with. This guy really shows the character of Jesus to me. This guy has so many things in common with me in, in our ministry goals and the things we want to do in our lives. But there came a point after I had gotten to know him pretty thoroughly in a lot of ways where I had to make a conscious decision. Am I going to give myself emotionally to this guy or not? And that's scary. 
You know, I felt like I was pouring out my heart as a drink offering before the Lord. Just pouring it out, not knowing if I'm going to get anything out of this because I don't really know his heart and he doesn't really know my heart until we risk, we, we share ourselves, we become deeper friends. And in that process, you take a risk. You risk pain and you risk sin if you do things the wrong way. As Christians, it's wrong to risk sin. We shouldn't do things that we know are edging toward temptation. But pain is not our enemy, is it? Pain changes us. It changes us into the image of God. It can be one of the greatest things that changes us. It's not fun. And sometimes it can make things really complicated. With my husband, I was risking pain. And that's what scared me. When I knew it's not sin to give my heart to this man. He's a godly man. And we are keeping things appropriate. But I'm risking pain. Ah, oh, that... that pulled on my carnal nature. I didn't want to risk being hurt. I wanted to know ahead of time, God, do you want me to marry the guy or not? Because if you don't, I don't want to go through all that. And that doesn't always work, does it? See, there was a guy I dated before my husband who also seemed to be a very godly man. And he was, he was preaching. He was on fire for the Lord. He had so many talents. Our personalities seemed to mesh so well. We could see ourselves in ministry for life. He told me, you know, if I ever get married, it's going to be because I can see that the two of us together will be more like three of us because there will be so much more effective in ministry together that it'll be better for us to be married in ministry than it would be for both of us to continue single in ministry. And I thought, wow, my kind of guy. And after I got to know him for a little while and I saw what he was like, we decided to start dating. And I gave my heart to him and I really loved him. And he was a wonderful person in so many ways. We seemed like we fit together well. But then, and, and the Lord had also worked a miracle to bring us together. A specific sign I had prayed, Lord, if you want me to get to know him better, you have to make this thing happen for us to actually be able to see each other so I can get to know him a little bit better. And it was virtually impossible for it to happen. And then two days later, it happened. I was assigned to work in a call porter program close by him where I wasn't even supposed to be. There was no way I would have been there, and I was not going to make myself get there. Somebody canceled where I was supposed to be and moved me there without my asking. And I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to get to know him a little bit better then. But the Lord led it from there, and it just seemed like it was this wonderful, beautiful process of God unfolding our hearts to each other. But in the end, we saw that our ministry paths were going to go separate, and we saw that our personalities weren't going to mesh as well as we thought they would. So I broke off our, our friendship. I broke off our relationship. We are friends now. Many years later, we were able to restore our friendship, and I praise God for that. But at that time, we had to sever. We had to sever our relationship and our friendship, and that was very painful. But it was one of the greatest things that ever happened to me. It taught me so many things I needed to know for my relationship with my husband, who I only met a year later. It taught me so many things about, you know, the dangers of a long-distance friendship or a long-distance relationship where you think you know somebody until you actually are in the same place with them in stressful situations. You find out, whoa, we don't fit together after all. We found out our, our ways of ministering were fundamentally different. He didn't want to be with lots of young people. He wanted to be alone with the Bible and a couple of people. Get up and preach. Go away to the cabin in the mountains. That's not me. That's not my kind of ministry. We, we didn't mesh. It didn't work. 
It was a learning experience. I learned so much. It was painful, but I don't regret that pain. I learned so much from it. And many years later, the Lord used our friendship as an instrument of bringing him back to Christ after he had left the Lord, left the church, left Christianity, something I never could have imagined when I was dating him. But then we became friends through Facebook and through a long, complicated process. God brought me to a situation where I could minister to him in a, in a chat group in, uh, what do you call it, like a, a chat forum where you talk about Adventism and he was talking against Adventism and I was talking for Adventism and he didn't know who I was. <laughs> and the Lord led and blessed and he's planning to get baptized into the Adventist church again. And if we hadn't had that connection from the past, that might not have been possible. But because there were, you know, 10 years in between, it, it helped soothe things. It, it, made, it made something possible. And we actually talked about it recently and said, you know, I praise the Lord that I married who I married, and I married exactly the right person. And he agrees. He knows I married the right person. We're so glad we didn't marry each other. But we're also glad that we had that experience where we dated each other. Because without that, I wouldn't have known him well enough to know where he was coming from. And I wouldn't have been able to minister to him. So praise God. He does things that are so much more complicated than we could ever understand. So I hope you can see the, the balance there. What I'm saying is it's not wrong to cross that shaky bridge of once you know this person is a person who is solid, they love the Lord, we seem to be compatible in ministry, we seem to be called in the same direction, we're mature enough, it's the right time in life, we, you know, we may be called to marry each other. It's okay to give yourself emotionally to a person, gradually. Gradually, you get to know them more, you share more and more of your heart. It's risking pain. Pain is not your enemy. Sin is your enemy. Don't get the two confused, because they're very different. When God leads you forward in a relationship, this is the danger I see. When God leads you forward in a relationship, some people say, this is it, I'm gonna marry this person. And they decide to marry before they even date. When you decide to marry somebody, when you haven't even gotten to know them very well, you're putting yourself in a very perilous situation. And I know many people who unfortunately did not give their hearts in time to find out what the other person's heart was really like. They figure out, the Lord seems to be bringing us together. He did these miracles, therefore we're going to get married three months from now. And they do. And three months after that, something terrible happens. Maybe one of them leaves the Lord or becomes mixed up in a heretical movement, or something strange happens. I'm telling you, I've seen people who really believe the Lord is leading, and you can't talk them out of it, and they destroy their lives by that one decision. So you've got to know somebody before you decide, I'm going to commit my entire life to being enmeshed with you, because this is, this is your children's future, right? This is the person who's supposed to be teaching your children their spiritual life. You need to know what's going on in that person's mind. You need to know what's going on in their relationship with God, and there are things that you just don't know unless you get closer. So you've got to take that risk sometimes. This is the balance. When, when you're moving in that process toward becoming more than just friends, you don't want to base it on, well, we, we just feel so great together. Man, we just really hit it off. Let's pour our hearts out to each other. That's just not smart. And you're taking a risk of sin. You know, I know somebody who she was making friends. Oh, everything was just so wonderful. They were just friends. They just really hit it off. Everything was great. Then she got emotionally attracted to this guy in deep ways because they were spending so much time together. 
And then even though there were clear red flags, here she was, you know, is this one that God wants for me? Because there sure seem to be some reasons why I shouldn't marry him, like that we're not members of the same denomination. Um, little inconsequential details like that. But God is leading because she prayed, Lord, if you want me to marry him, then have him be able to get up the mountain in this snowy mountain in his truck today. And then he made it. Therefore, God wanted us to get married, and nobody could talk her out of it. Um, God does not lead that way, if I don't know how else to say that. Um, God does not go directly contrary to his word by giving you a sign. In his word, he says, choose somebody carefully. Even in the story of Isaac and Rebekah, which is a classic one, you can say the Lord definitely has one person out there for you. Because look at Isaac and Rebekah. They prayed and God brought them to each other. Well, that's true. But you look at the, the test that the servant used when Eliezer was praying. He prayed, Lord, if there's a girl here that's right for Isaac, have her come and, you know, She'll walk by, I'll ask her for a drink of water. That's, that's happenstance, circumstance. It could happen with anybody. Then she'll offer to water my camels, which is like a two-hour job. Watering camels, like 15 camels. You know how much camels can drink? That was character. That this girl will say, oh, you have camels. They look thirsty. I'll water your camels too. Have you ever hauled an earthenware jar out of a well just once? Now imagine doing that for two hours straight for somebody you've never seen before and will probably never see again. That was not just, you know, what a circumstance. That was Jesus being revealed through her. That was the character of God being manifested in her. That's character. And if you can only get one sign, and if you won't have a chance to even meet your spouse in an unusual situation like that, God may lead in that way. Here's the dangers I see if people just say, okay, this is the person that God has given us a sign that we should get married, therefore I'm going to marry this person before I even get to know them. Usually, a little bit later on in life, some kind of crash hits. And because they didn't build a solid foundation of knowing what this person is like, they go, oh no, I married the wrong one. And then they think, well, pff, what a mess. It wasn't even God's will for us to be together. It creates insecurity. It creates chaos in a relationship. So you need to get to know somebody slowly as you see what their character is like. How much is this person like Jesus? That's the first thing you need to know, right? And you can be friends with people whether or not they're like Jesus, as long as they're not influencing you. You're not risking sin. But you want to know also, if you're going to marry this person, how much is this person like me? So you've got to evaluate their character. How much are they like Jesus and, and their personality? How well do they mesh with me? So that process is just that. It's a process, not an event. You can't say, God has now led us together, therefore we'll get married. Now, there are plenty of people who've done that, and God has blessed their marriages, and I'm not saying he didn't lead them together. But if you want a process that's outlined in Scripture, it's evaluate their character and give your heart gradually instead of immediately pouring yourself out to a person because you're risking not just pain but sin when you do that. When you just pour yourself out to somebody without knowing who they are, you risk getting too attached to them. And when you don't really know, is this person really like Jesus? So, loaded question. Is it wrong to be more than just friends? It depends on why and how. And you have to be spirit-filled. Here's the thing. It sounds so complicated when I'm talking to you about it here. 
But the, the really crucial thing you've got to know is, am I really connected to Christ? Am I spirit-filled? Am I spending time with God every day? Am I letting him satisfy the deep cravings of my heart? Because if God is satisfying the deep cravings of your heart, the other stuff comes into focus. That may sound ambiguous, but I'm serious. If you are spending quality, deep time with God, and we're going to be talking about that in the seminar on, on spirituality, if you're spending quality, deep time with God, He's satisfying the thirst in your soul, then when you come to a relationship with somebody else, and you're a friendship, and you're looking at this person thinking, hmm, do I want to spend more time with them or not? You're not going to be driven by this craving. I need somebody to love me. You're going to be able to say, hmm, looks like he has a problem with his temper. Well, that's not something I would want to include in my children's future. You'll be able to think instead of going on gut. You watch the movies, you got to go on gut. It doesn't matter that they're fighting and screaming and swearing at each other and 10 minutes later they're in bed together. It's going to be fine because they had the passion and they couldn't stop themselves. And you know when you've got enough passion, you can't stop yourself. It's forever, right? <laughs> if, if people had any idea what I see as a counselor, the wrecks and havoc that I see in people's lives because of passion-based marriages, it would scare you to death if you could see one hundredth of what I see, of what goes on because people walk down that aisle dressed in white. It seemed so wonderful. They were so happy. And two years later, they can't even stand to look at their wedding pictures. They think of that as oh, the day that I ruined my life. It's awful. You don't want to risk that. So when you get married to somebody, when you consider becoming more than just friends with somebody, think. And first of all, have your foundation deeply in Christ. Let him satisfy your soul. If you feel, and if you're spirit-filled and you're spending time with God, you'll be able to sense when you're thirsting for this person instead of just wanting to spend time with them. I read a, a, a story where a man was telling how when he was engaged to his wife, every morning he would pray to God with his hands open and outstretched like this. He said it was to him a symbol he was saying to God, I offer you my relationship with Luella. I believe she's the one for me. I believe you have called me to marry her, but I'm holding this relationship with open hands. Anytime you need it to be taken out of my life, you take it. It's not something I'm going to grasp. I'm not going to hold on to it. It's surrendered to you. When your relationship with God is held like this, palms up, outstretched before the Lord, when that's the way your heart is, you're saying to God, Take this relationship if you need to. Anything you want, it's all for you. That's when you're in a safe relationship with God and with the other person. And he'll guide you. He'll direct you. That's the beauty of, of Scripture. That's the beauty of God's way of doing things. When we're filled with his spirit, he brings everything else in our lives into balance. All right. I have a little quiz for you. In case some of you might possibly be thinking of any specific relationship that you have in your life and you're wondering, are we really just friends or not? Here are a few questions you can ask yourself. When something good happens to you or something bad, who is the first person you want to tell? If it's an opposite sex friend, that person obviously holds a special place in your heart. Sharing such experiences builds bonds. And when we look for someone to share with, often that's our conscious or unconscious goal. Now, if you find yourself, you know, you want to share with that opposite sex friend, but if they're not around, it's okay. And you think of another opposite sex friend to talk about it with. And if they're not around, that's okay because you've got another opposite sex friend. You've got a problem is what you've got. <laughs> you're looking for, for somebody of the opposite sex, and that's what you're valuing in your friendship more than who they are. Think instead, you know, if this person were the same sex as me, would I be as, as driven to talk with them about these heart issues? 
If so, well, maybe it's okay. You don't know what's going on in their heart, but maybe things are okay for you. But chances are, often when we want to go to this person right away, it's because we should be going to God first, but we get a, a faster emotional rush if we go to somebody of the opposite sex. Does your friendship itself feature as a topic of conversation between you? You know, oh, your friendship means so much to me. Oh, I just thank you so much for being there for me. You always know what to say. I, I can always count on you. What would I do without you? You know what I mean? Um, people, when they're talking about things like that, they're trying to bring the value of the friendship to consciousness. They're trying to get the other person to affirm, you mean so much to me too. And even, even though there's nothing evil about sharing those things, it's important that we, we don't spend a lot of time on them. If your friendship with somebody of the opposite sex is really casual, just friends, you're probably not going to spend a lot of time talking about how much you trust them. It's just, you're just going down a hill that gets steeper and steeper. Do you find yourselves wanting to talk without other people around? You might like it when others go away and you're left at a table alone together. You may go on walks with others, but find yourselves talking more between the two of you or even walking at a different speed than the others. Do you hope that you will get to talk with him or her about certain things that are close to your heart? I remember going for a walk with a whole bunch of people. We were just going hiking together. And this one guy, he was just walking a little slower than everybody else as he talked to me. And I kept saying, well, maybe we should catch up with the others. No. I just want to walk. So we ended up walking considerably farther away from everybody else. And I thought, oh, could there be a, no, he's younger than me. We're totally, no, he could never be interested in me. But I found out not too long after that, that I had read those signals correctly, even though I hadn't wanted to believe them. He wanted to have time with me, not time with people, time with me. And that was not what we needed. Do you find yourself wanting to touch your friend? You might look for excuses to ram an elbow into their ribs, wrap an arm around their neck, look forward to when they come over you and give them a hug. Do you enjoy it when they touch you even accidentally? Ooh. Does your friend seem to find excuses to touch you? Even if you're not getting anything out of it, the other person keeps on wanting to touch you, you can say, well, she just does that with all the guys, but um, maybe there's a reason for that. Um, chances are, if you are touching each other, both of you are aware that this does not feel the same as touching a same-sex friend. Think hormones. Are your conversations about facts, like what happened in class, or do they include your feelings? They don't have to be feelings for each other, just feelings. You know, oh, I don't know what to do about my mom, I feel so down, you ever feel like this? You're building bonds. It's like two magnets. You take two magnets and you put them closer and closer and closer together. Eventually, what happens when you've got two magnets and you're holding them closer and closer together? The pull gets stronger and stronger, and they're together. And um, maybe none of you have ever had one of those situations where you're standing in the moonlight and all of a sudden somebody that you would never have been interested in during the day becomes much more attractive. <laughs> if I were ever to have hypothetically been in a situation like that, <laughs> I would say that the reason that happened <laughs> was because I was an idiot, okay? Because I kept telling myself, I see the signs, the Holy Spirit is telling me get out of this situation, but I'm not listening because it feels good. Oh, come on, nothing would ever happen. Do you know who this guy's like? You know what I mean? When you start making excuses to yourself, I'm just saying, you know? If you play with fire, don't be shocked when you get burned. Do you ever find your eyes lingering on your friend, especially when they are not looking? Do you look for him or her when you come into a room? 
Um, remember, we're talking about the heart. I'm not talking about, do you touch this person? That's a physical thing you do. I'm talking about what's going on in your heart. The things that you do reveal what's going in your heart sometimes. But these are not the things, you know, if, if all of these things are okay, you're fine, you pass the test. I'm talking about what's going on in your heart. These are questions to ask yourself. What's going on in my heart? Do other people think of you as a couple or tease you about each other? Do you enjoy it when they do? If I had ever hypothetically been in these situations when I was a teenager, <laughs> I would have recognized this right away. You see, when I liked that people thought that some guy liked me, even if I didn't actually have anything going with him, just the thought that people thought that a guy was interested in me made me feel good because my sense of identity and worth and lovability was powerfully built on whether guys found me attractive. My relationship with my dad was really troubled and messed up, and so I needed male affirmation. And tragically, that's the case with many people. I know so many people who have gotten in situations that destroy their lives. I mean, two days ago, I just had a girl call me on the phone. She's terrified. She's pregnant. She's like, I think I might be pregnant. Oh, and it could be. And I just found out that the guy that, that you know, I've been with, he's, he's got two other girlfriends. Why do I get myself into these things? This is not fun. She's desperate. She's terrified. And the worst part of it for her is, why do I do this to myself over and over and over? I've been working with her for years. I see the pattern. I know what she's doing, but I can't fix it because only Christ can fix it. And she's not letting him into that deep part of her heart yet because she wants, she wants somebody to fill that. She thinks that only a guy can do it. And no matter what I tell her, she's not going to spend enough time with God in a deep heart level to let him satisfy that because guys are so much quicker. Find somebody. I'm beautiful. They're attracted to me. I feel better in 10 minutes. Why should I go and spend hours trying to connect with God, building a deep relationship? You know, we live in an instant culture. And that's what's going on with this girl. I'm scared for her. Um, it's, it's, a, it's a terrifying situation to be in. Whether or not that happens, just the fact that she might end up going through similar situations later on. She will. She will unless she lets Christ fill her heart. Because we are idolaters. We're all idolaters looking for a God to worship. And if we don't let God be the center of our lives, we'll let something or someone else and when that someone crumbles, when that idol falls apart, we'll go to someone else or something else. People just take turns on their addictions. It's alcohol now, then it's sex, then it's food, then it's drugs, then it's a codependent relationship. Codependency is just another word for idolatry. Do you sometimes think about, even if you would never mention it out loud, your friend's looks or outward attractiveness. If your friend were the same sex you are, would you feel the urge to spend as much time together? You know, hormones do great things for friendship, make you feel so much more like being together. Do you like being seen with your friend? Does he or she seem to enjoy it? If you or your friend were to get married to someone else, would your friendship have to change in its intensity or its direction of growth? This is a big one. You know, maybe it would be fine. Or maybe it would be fine for you, but if you started dating somebody, your friend might stop spending time with you. I had friends like that that I didn't realize they were interested in me until they thought I was interested in somebody else, and suddenly they didn't want to spend time with me anymore. Well, that takes care of some problems, right? <laughs> if, you, if you think that, you know, man, if one of us were interested in somebody else, I wouldn't really want to be around them anymore. This is, this is a question that just goes to what's going on in my heart. Helps you to see what's happening down there. 
Do you ever wonder if your friend finds you attractive? Does their opinion influence what you choose to wear, how you do your hair, etc.? Do you cherish little mementos, notes, etc., that your friend has given you? Now, some people just cherish things. It's not evil. I'm just saying, you know, think about it. You've got to remember, we're, we're naturally liars. We lie to ourselves. We say, oh, it's fine. I would never. No, no. But we have to think through what's really going on in our heart. These, that's what these questions are about, asking the Lord, what's going on in my heart? Do you often think warmly of little thoughtful things that your friend has done for you or with you? Do these things feature prominently in your mind, especially when you feel down or lonely? That's emotional dependency. If, if when you sink, the first thing you grab for is what somebody else thinks of you, you're in trouble because you're supposed to be reaching out for what God thinks of you when you start sinking. Would you be shocked if your friend started a committed relationship with someone other than you without talking to you about it first? I remember when one of my friends, who we were just friends, everything was fine, you know, he had a girlfriend and I was just his friend. And then one day he called me up and said, you know, I just broke up with my girlfriend today because I was just thinking about it and I realized I'd rather be with you. Would it be okay? What do you think? Can we date? And like an idiot, I said yes. <laughs> I was 15. Give me a break. <laughs> we were just friends until that very moment. But I'd been attracted to him all along. I just had never admitted it to myself. He was the cutest guy in the whole school. He was also 13 and one of the most immature. But, you know, <laughs> what do you say? <laughs> if you've ever tried to reason with somebody like that, it's almost better to just save your breath, right? I was unreasonable because I was doing everything based on attraction. It feels good right now. I don't care that he's not a Christian. He's not an Adventist. He smokes. He talks about himself nonstop. Um, little inconsequential details like that, that were all true of that guy, you know, didn't matter. I was too immature. I was too caught up in how I felt to think about what God wanted, what would glorify God. It was all about me. Number 16, do you sometimes say or do things purposely to be noticed by your friend? This may mean things like talking louder or joking more when they're around, or even the opposite, looking lonely when they are nearby. <laughs> None of you have ever seen anybody do this, I know, <laughs> and certainly never done it yourselves. It might also mean strategically mentioning things to someone who you hope will also mention them to your friend. That's called manipulation. 17. Do you defend your friendship to others, to each other, or in your own mind by pointing out that you or your friend are not interested in each other? Like, you know, Rodney and Sherry are together, and he, buy, he and I both are really happy with that. Sherry has no problem with us being best friends, and I would never want them to break up. Um, let the Lord talk to your heart. Say, Lord, tell me what's really going on in my heart. You know, you always hear, pray about stuff, pray about it, pray about it. I mean it. I mean it. When you sit down before the Lord and you say, God, you, God, see me. Tell me what's going on in my heart that I don't understand. It's amazing how suddenly everything switches. I've seen this again and again in my marriage when my husband will buy, and I will be in a little tiff and I'm irritated with him. So I go, go in the other room, shut the door and say, okay, Lord, what's going on? All of a sudden the blinders fall off. And I mean instantly. And I see you are proud. You are selfish. You want it to be his fault that you are reacting in a sinful way. You want it to be him, so you're trying to make him get mad so that you can, you know what I mean? God does this wonderful thing of showing you what's going on in your heart. When you just sit down before him and say, thou God seest me, tell me what's happening in my heart. Because my heart is deceitful, desperately wicked. I can't figure it out on my own. But when I ask for his spirit, the light shines in and I see the ugliness. 
and I give it to him, and he cleanses it, and I'm able to go out and say, honey, I'm so sorry, I realized what was wrong there. Marriage is beautiful when Christ is at the center, but it's terrible when he's not. If you are in a committed relationship with someone else, does your significant other seem to mind your friendship as they see it? Now that could be your problem, it could be their problem, but if your friendship is getting in the way of your relationship with this other person, you've got to figure out. If it's my marriage, everything else has to go because my marriage is priority. I have to figure out what's happening. You know, is my husband legitimately jealous? Is my husband having a problem spiritually? What is it? But, you know, if, there's, if you're in a committed relationship, maybe the relationship needs to go if they're getting un, um, jealous in strange ways. But you never, you never try to brush it under the carpet. Ah, there's nothing to it. If you're in a committed relationship with someone else, do you ever hide aspects of your friendship from your boyfriend or girlfriend or your husband or your wife? Or think things like, I could certainly never let Jeff know that I thought that about Douglas. Have you ever thought, well, if he or she were available, I might be interested, but that's not the way things are? You know, those last five questions especially were things that reveal you're lying to yourself. If you think there's nothing going on, but down inside you're even conscious that it will, just think of it like you plant a seed and you water it and you leave it in the sun. And then, whoa, what do you know? It grew. How did that happen? If you, if you allow sin... To, to be cherished, if you lie to yourself, just know it's going to grow. It's going to grow into something ugly. And then it'll be a lot harder to uproot than it would have been if you'd just gotten rid of it at the beginning. Song of Solomon says, Young women of Jerusalem, promise me never to awaken love before it is ready. And I just appeal to every one of you, don't awaken love before it's ready. Don't be afraid to give yourself. Many of us, we've gone through terrible situations growing up. It's hard in a world where there's so much divorce, so much TV and movies and music and garbage everywhere that's telling you, follow your heart, do whatever you feel like doing. We all have suffered the consequences in this generation from the foolish mistakes of several generations before us who have been more and more reliant on this culture of selfishness, of advertising, of, of living for the now that now we're reaping it in broken relationships. Now there's Facebook and Twitter and all these ways that you can more and more have this huge shallow network of friends. And when you feel down, you go to Facebook, or you go to email, or you go to your cell phone, or you go to your iPad. Whatever there is that you want to go to, there are so many things to go to instead of Christ. And they all make you feel better so much faster. But it's like drinking salt water. You get a little bit, but you're thirstier a little bit later. You don't want to do that. Go to Christ. Don't awaken love before it's ready. Don't try to get into a relationship with somebody in order to satisfy your heart. Yes, God has put a legitimate longing for love in our hearts, but he doesn't want us to wreck our lives by going to those things instead of Christ. And that's what happens when people try to be more than just friends and call it just friends because they don't want to admit to themselves, I really am looking to somebody else instead of Christ to satisfy the, the hunger in my heart. Let's pray and ask the Lord to bring each of us close to him as our best friend, as our closest companion. Father in heaven, right now we just want to bring our hearts before you. Maybe some of us have been convicted of things that are going on in our lives as we've been here. And we want to pray right now and surrender those things to you, Lord.
Thank you, Lord. We, we surrender everything to you. We give you our hearts. Lord, shine your light into us and help us to have friendships that are truly built around you as the center of our lives and everyone else as someone else to enrich our lives and teach us to love you more. Thank you, Lord. We love you. Amen.